few years ago, I was at a leadership retreat down in Phoenix, and the first few days were great. We spent day, uh, some time going through our personality profiles. We were working together with a cohort to challenge one another, equip one another, encourage one another as we discovered what kind of leader God was calling us to be. By the time we hit Thursday, it was time for some team-building exercises, and so our group hopped on a bus, and we went to a, a local mountain to be hiked up. On the way back, I was exhausted. It was a long hike. I'm an introvert. I can only talk to so many people for so long. And I ended up sitting beside one of the leaders, one of the mentors in the program. And so we started talking a little bit. Hey, where are you from? What do you do? What does life look like for you? And a few minutes into the conversation, I was thinking, man, I'd rather be napping right now. I I need to make this worthwhile. And so I took a deep breath, and I thought, I'm just going to dive in. And I looked at him, and I said, Miller, Not over the last year, not over the last two years, but over the last 20 years, what's the biggest leadership lesson that you have learned? And he smiled at me like, ah, now this conversation is going somewhere. And he said, give me a minute. And he looked up at the top of the roof. He looked at me and he said, Dave, do you have a really good friend in pastoral ministry? And you're thinking, man, this is, a, this is a leadership conference. Shouldn't we be talking about change management or vision or hiring the right staff? And he said, do you have somebody that's a really good friend in ministry? Over the last week, our building has been incredibly full with activities and conferences and things of that sort, an unusually busy week. One of the things that was taking place was upstairs in our kids' chapel, all the new pastors across Canada um, for the Baptist General Conference were coming together for orientation. And I was talking to our district coach, Dennis Gully, maybe you know him, and he said, Dave, we actually talked about friendship um, for most of the day yesterday. We also hosted the Global Leadership Summit. These are world-class leaders. Condoleezza Rice was there. Um, Craig Rochelle, who leads one of the biggest churches in the world, was there. Um, The president of Intel. And one of the speakers stood up and said, you're probably expecting another leadership talk. I want to talk to you about friendship. And she made a couple jokes about it, and after everybody else she'd been following. But she said some things that were fascinating to me. She said a study was recently done in the United States that discovered that 58% of Americans are lonely. If you classified yourself as a leader, that number jumped up to 70% of Americans said, we're lonely and we don't have enough friends. Pre-COVID, the average person spent six and a half hours a week with their friends. Post-COVID, that number dropped down to two and a half hours a week. And we wonder, Why are we feeling the way we are? So if last week was kind of the wisdom literature at 20,000 feet and talking about Solomon and talking about how it impacts us at different ages of life, this week we now get into the nitty gritty. And from now until our Advent series, we're going to be looking at what it means to live an ordinary life and friendship is a big part of that. So let's pray and ask God to guide us. Heavenly Father, thank you for Proverbs. What a beautiful book this is with so much wisdom. And God, as we open it up and discover what you have in store for us, and it's going to impact all of us differently this morning, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to every individual in this room and online in what we need to hear to be better friends. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. 
If you have your Bibles with you, you can certainly open them up to the book of Proverbs. What might make this a little bit tricky, a little bit unique, is it's not like we're going to be in one chapter the whole time. I'm going to be jumping around. So certainly you're welcome to see the context in which I'm preaching from, or perhaps you want to uh, follow along on your phone or a notepad, because we're going to look at a number of different Proverbs from all sorts of different chapters. Now, when you get to a book of the Bible, there's generally a theme that takes place or a big idea or a, or a story that we're following. And certainly Proverbs has that, but it also is so much different than what you would typically find in the other 65 books of Scripture. Proverbs 1 verse 7, um, the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. And so throughout this path, throughout this book, we see Solomon who wrote the vast majority and we are almost given a glimpse into his journal. It's not two chapters on friendship and then three chapters on marriage and about one chapter on work. It's all jumbled about. And so what I've done is I've created a, uh, a definition for what I think would be good for us today. Proverbs are short and punchy sayings that are full of meaning, stating a general truth or a piece of advice. Now this is important to understand because sometimes we read Proverbs and we think, well, we did that, but it didn't work out the way I was expecting it to. So for example, Proverbs 10 verse 4 says, um, uh, lazy hands makes a man poor, diligent hands brings wealth. So if you look at the definition behind me, generally that's true. Generally, if you don't work very hard, it's going to be hard to pay rent and to put food on the table and clothes on your back and the rest. But we probably know people who are kind of lazy and do just fine for themselves. I have a friend, he retired at 32 years of age because he owns five A&Ws. <laughs> he hired a general manager, and now he just enjoys the wealth that came from that. On the flip side, we probably know people who work exceptionally hard, but just have never been able to get ahead in life. Maybe it's because their organization doesn't treat them the way they should. Maybe it's, there's other components at work. But as a general rule, this is how it takes place. So if you enjoy reading through the book of Proverbs and you're thinking, well, how do I read it myself? Because maybe you've been following along and you find that you hit a particular proverb and it doesn't really impact you much. So here's one way to read it. Maybe you're reading a chapter a day as we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. When you pray before you read, ask God, is there something that stands out to me? Something that I need to think about or to reflect on this day? And then when you get to that passage, when you get to that one proverb, stop about it, think about it, reflect on it, pray for it. But you might also think, well, how do I study Proverbs? What does that look like? And one of the ways we can do that is through uh, BibleGateway.com. Last week I mentioned that the word son was used 45 times in the book of Proverbs. Well, I didn't read 31 chapters and find out which one was the word son, uh, how many times it was used. I just Googled it and, and it told me. Um, Derek Kidner does the Tyndale Old Testament commentary. Um, he breaks it down into a whole bunch of themes or big ideas. And Raymond Ortland has a preaching the word commentary. Uh, tech team, just wondering if I could please have um, the monitor say what my next slide is. Um, if you're able to change that for me, that would be awesome. Personally, when it comes to studying Proverbs, there was something that really grabbed me as to what's taking place here. In 1960, C.S. Lewis, perhaps one of the greatest Christian thinkers of the 20th century, wrote a book called The Four Loves. And in this book, he talked about the four ways that Greek words are translated love into English. And what we see here, thank you, team, I really appreciate that. 
um, what we see here is the uh, word agape. It means God's unconditional love. And so you have that most popular verse perhaps in all of scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is God's unconditional love. You have Romans 5, 5 verse 8. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friend. It's the love of God pursuing us and coming after us. The next way that love uh, is translated is by eros. And this is a romantic love. If God's unconditional love is pursuing us, eros is the romantic love of us pursuing someone else. We're desiring them. We're seeking them. We're coming after them so that our relationship with them might be beautiful. Perhaps a love that we've all experienced but have never really thought about it is this love called storge. It's familial love. It's the love of a mom and a dad coming together after baby's been born and just ooing and aahing over the beautiful new baby. It's the love a daughter has for her mom when she calls her mom and says, Mom, I just need to talk about what's going on. I'm in this rough relationship. And it's the love that the dad has for his beautiful daughter who grabs a shotgun and says, Giddy up! Time to do something about this. And then, of course, is philea. It's the friendship love. This is the love that we're focusing on and talking about today. And what C.S. Lewis says is fascinating. He says the other three loves, agape and eros and storge, all of that is, um, uh, comes upon us naturally. God's unconditional love is available to anybody. Eros, that romantic love, this is the love that we pursue and we just feel like we have to go after and chase after a partner. Storge is the familial love that hopefully all of us in this room have experienced from our parents, from our cousins, from our uh, brothers and sisters. But friendship love is different. Friendship love is deliberate. Friendship love almost always only comes to us if we're willing to put it out ourselves. I forget who said this, but they wrote, um, in the early stages of your life, you are what your family makes you. For the rest of your life, you are what your friends make you. Our friends shape us. But are we going to be deliberate enough to be great friends and to look for great friends in return. If you enjoy taking notes, there's gonna be four parts of the message today. This is constancy and friendship. Um, Derek Kidner in his commentary that I mentioned just a moment ago has a number of themes that he goes through in the book of Proverbs, and he picks out four major themes in friendship. Three were C's and one was a T. And so obviously I fixed that up and made that a C as well. If you can guess which one it is, free coffee from me. Somebody tried in first service. I got it wrong. So you can come up and try for that. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 19. Wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friend deserts him. Many curry favor with a ruler, and everyone is the friend of a man who gives gifts. So not all our friends have to be constant friends. We're probably going to have one or two or three or five friends who are really close, and the rest are just good friends that are a good hang and somebody to hang out with. That's totally fine and completely to be expected. And if you throw a party, you expect that friend to come, and if you're doing something where you're watching a game together, you expect that friend to come, but when you're moving, who's really going to show up? Who's going to be there for you? I'm 42 years old, seven years Baptist, 35 years of a different denomination. And after I met with Miller at the leadership course I was taking, I, I took it quite seriously and I said, okay, who's that person in ministry that I can really spend time with? 
And one of the difficult challenges for me in leaving one denomination and coming to another was that I no longer had those connections at my previous denomination because I wasn't going to the same conferences or weren't the same denominational meetings and that sort of thing. So I called up an old friend and I said, hey, can we get together, grab coffee? He said, yeah, sure, that'll be great. We talked together, we laughed, we talked about ministry, we talked about family, we talked about life in general. And at the end I said, hey, this was really great. Would it be okay if we did this on a regular basis? Maybe we meet every month or two or something like that, just to be an encouragement to one another. And he was really gracious. He said, Dave, this has been a lot of fun. I already have somebody like that in my life. I'm really sorry. I just don't have room for more. No problem. He was gracious about it. One year later, I became the lead pastor of Ellerslie, and he emailed me that first month and said, we should hang out regularly. It'll be fun. We can talk about life and ministry and everything together. I'll let you figure out what I chose to do. (laughs) A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is a powerful proverb. Do you have a friend who is available? There's that classic line, it's a little bit corny, the best type of ability is availability. Who's going to be there when you need them the most? Who is going to be there when you really need to pick up the phone and call somebody? I had a rough night this past week and I called one of my friends hoping he would pick up the phone and he did and we talked for a good 20, 25 minutes and it was great. You see, sometimes we get that, if you've uh, ever been in a relationship or you watch something on TV and you get the one partner says to the other, we need to talk. And the one guy goes, no, we don't need to talk. Everything is fine. But a friend is different. When you reach out to a friend and say, we need to talk, you are immediately there to help them and to move that forward. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. It's an interesting proverb. It recognizes, and this goes back to that general rule sort of idea, that uh, family is there when you need them to be there. A brother is there when you need to depend on them. But his friend is there all the time. When I was thinking and reflecting on this passage, I wrote this down. Family is there because they have to be. Friends are there because they want to be. One of the challenges, one of the tensions I was working with when writing this message is, by what angle am I writing it? Are we to be these types of people? Of course we are. But should we be looking for these types of friends? Of course we should. Are we the type of person who's going to have these kind of friends because we are these type of friends? There's constancy in friendship. There's also candor in friendship. In the Old Testament, in the um, first five books of the Bible, it's called the Pentateuch or the books of Moses or the law. We have God giving the law to the nation of Israel. And God gives through his servant Moses 613 laws. And if you were a rabbi, if you were a priest, you would have these laws all memorized. But for the average person like you and me, we would say, well, can we boil that down? And perhaps you're familiar with what Jesus says in the New Testament. And he says, "Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. And the second commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. You might be familiar with that. The love the Lord your God is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The love your neighbor as yourself is from Leviticus 19 verse 8. You might not be familiar with what happens in Leviticus 19 verse 7. This is what we read. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly. So you will not share in his guilt. Solomon says it like this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. 
Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. This is a friend who helps you out when you're about to do something dumb. This is a friend who says, you know, I see what you're doing in this relationship. I see the school that you're choosing. I see what's the financial choice you're about to make. And I don't think that's going to work out for you. This is what candor is. This is what candor looks like. How many times have you looked at somebody as they started a relationship and thought to yourself, this isn't going to work out. And then they get engaged. And you think, is somebody going to say something? And then they get married And five years later, they have a child and they're divorced. Candor steps in. Candor loves somebody enough to say that I see that financial decision you're going to make. It's not a good one. You've shared with me what your salary is and that car is way too expensive. Candor says, I know what you're studying in school, but all your gift set is over here. I think you should reconsider what you're looking at. And being a good friend, we look at our friends and we look at our, those who are, we're closest to and we say, hey, this is what we're thinking of doing. Can you give me some feedback? Can you, can you give me some input? Last week as we were looking at Solomon and um, the oversight of the wisdom literature and taking place, I mentioned that um, while David was the second king of Israel, he didn't explicitly say to the entire nation that Solomon, my son, is going to be the next king. So one of David's other kids, a man by the name of Adonijah, says, I'm going to be king. This is what we read in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6. His father, David, had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave the way that you do? Now maybe we think to ourselves, well, Dave, if I, if I am candid, my friend will be upset with me. Maybe they will be. Now again, many of us have multiple friends But who are the closest friends that you have? Maybe there's two or three or a handful. Are you candid with them? Do you love them enough to speak into their lives? And are you humble enough to have them speak into your life? So let me be candid with you. Are you being candid with your friends? Now you might say, Dave, 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 they're going to be upset with me. Fair enough. Do you want superficial friendships? Because there are plenty of them. Or do you want to have the type of friend that you challenge them, they challenge you, and you grow deeper because of it? Now you might say, Dave, real love wouldn't bring that up. I think it does. I think really you just love yourself and the relationship you have, and you just want those waters to be nice and smooth and to not go deep. But it does mean we have to be careful. And that's the third part of our outline this morning. In Proverbs 27, verse 14, we read this. If a man loudly blesses his neighbor in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Now, it's easy to tell the truth and to be a jerk. (laughs) That's not what we're doing here. In her brilliant book, Radical Candor, Kim Scott gives kind of a matrix where she talks about what it means to be loving and what it means to be truthful. It sounds an awful like a lot like Ephesians 4 where Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, speak the truth in love and we will grow into the likeness of Christ. Um, Kim Scott develops a matrix. I thought it would be easier to just write it out because it can be a little bit confusing. If you don't care about somebody and you don't challenge them, it's just manipulative insincerity. Basically, that person is useful and you get from them what you will and then you move on. 
if you do care, but you don't challenge them, that's ruinous empathy. That's your friend coming to you and saying, hey, I've kind of been flirting with somebody at work. Do you think that's a big deal? Do you think my partner will mind? And you're going, oh, no, I'm sure your partner will be fine with it. No, they won't. They won't be fine with it at all. What if we don't care, but we do challenge? This is the obnoxious aggression. This is the person who says to you, are you an idiot? Why would you say something like that? Now, maybe some of you have friends like that and you love it. That's great. But for most of us, we don't want it. The final one is this. If we do care and we do challenge, if we speak the truth in love, that is radical candor. Now, maybe we can't do that with all of our friends, but your closest friends, the people that you lean on when things go tough, can you speak candidly and carefully to them? Proverbs 26 says this, like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. My eight-year-old just had his birthday and grandma bought him a bow and arrow. I thought grandma loved me and Jenna, but apparently she wants us to die. Because my eight-year-old is going, Dad, look at this! And I'm ducking and I'm diving and I'm rolling out of the way going, that's great! The shoot over there. How many times do you say something and go, oh, I was only joking, knowing full well that that hurt your friend's feelings? How many times do you deceive your friends or maybe you return something at the store and you just slightly tell something that's not truth to make sure you get your full refund? How many times do you deceive your neighbors because it's just easier and life stays smoother that way? We need to be careful in how we talk and how we act and how we live our lives. This is a good one. Like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. I wrote down, foolishly inflicting pain while offering no value at all. The book of Job, which we'll be looking at over the course of this series, has Job's friends. And if you don't know the story of Job, um, in a matter of, uh, I think it's one evening, if memory serves correct, he loses all his kids to death. All his livestock is stolen or destroyed, and all his wealth is destroyed by, uh, by the weather. He's given sores, his wife is yelling at him, and life is awful. So his friends show up, and at the beginning, they just sit there. It's the wisest thing they do, because as soon as they open their mouths, it's not good advice at all. Maybe you've heard me say this before. You've been kicking around Ellerslie. I think it's one of the most important leadership lessons I've learned in the last 10 years. To look at your friend who has called you because you are that constant friend and said, what do you need from me right now? Do you need me to listen? Do you need me to make you laugh? Do you want to go on a walk together? Do you want to go to see a movie together? Do you want to just go out for a coffee? What do you need right now? Now, I use this question all the time. My wife is nodding. <laughs> Constancy, candor, carefulness, counsel. I mentioned earlier that the book of Proverbs isn't two chapters on friendship and three chapters on work and one chapter on marriage and all the rest. It's all jumbled together. 
But if there was one passage in the book of Proverbs that was all about friendship, it would be Proverbs chapter 27. It's an alphabetic. The first 22 verses of Proverbs 27 are the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, each going through what it means to be a good friend. Perhaps the most popular verse on friendship in the book is iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Do you have the type of friendship where you rub each other's raw edges away? Do you have the type of friendship where you can present one perspective, a friend can offer a different perspective, you can talk about it and then tell them why they're wrong? Do you have the type of friendship where you continually grow deeper with one another and understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how to be better at work and how to be a better friend and how to be a, a better spouse or partner or parent or whatever the case might be? Jim Ron writes this, we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. So I thought about this. Got one friend who's all sports all the time. Got another friend who's an entrepreneur. Got another friend who's a gifted leader. Got another friend who's a philosopher. And got another friend that words cannot explain what this is because his character is crazy. Is this true of you? We are the average of the people we spend the most time with. Proverbs 27, verse 9, now perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. Isn't that beautiful? So when you think of your closest friends, who are the friends that when you spend time with them at the end of your time together, whether you're on a walk or you have them over for a meal or you've had coffee together where you think, I don't want this to end where they're the type of friend where you just want to spend more time together and hang out with them more regularly and talk about life and ministry and what's happening at work and what's happening at home and how to become a better person individually. I mentioned just a moment ago one of my closest friends is a philosopher. And I used to live in Calgary for a handful of years. He's always lived in Edmonton. My parents live in town, so it's pretty regular for me to come back. And I'd hang out with my friend. And we would talk until 4 or 5 a.m. Because we just knew that we only had a couple days together. There's something beautiful about it. Maybe you need a theologian to really take it to the next level. Rick Astley says, never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to turn around and hurt you. Huh? Colton? Huh? Did I pass? Never going to make you cry, never going to say good. I'm so bad. My wife needs to teach me how to sing. That was just awful. I thought a lot about friendship over the last week. And honestly, it pained me because I think I'm a good friend and I thought about those five people and one of the first things that came to mind is how often have I let them down? How often have I not been the friend to them that I should have? And when something bad happened to me this past week and I called the all sports all the time friend, he talked to me for 25 minutes of something that happened. He was great. I wrote down this. We don't have the friends we need because we aren't the friends we should be. So you can see the tension here, right? Are we this type of friend? Are we the friend who's constant? Are we the friend who loves enough to be candid? Are we the friend who's careful in our candidacy? Are we the friend who offers wise counsel? You know, some people think that God had to create humanity. He didn't. He always has been, always will be, Perfect. One God existing in three persons in a beautiful friendship together. 
the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's interesting when you get to Genesis chapter two and three as you open up your Bibles and you hear that God was walking with Adam and Eve. It's a Hebrew idiom for friendship. It's just a reminder that God wants to have a friendship with us. We read in John chapter 15, this is the night that Jesus is betrayed right after the Last Supper. This is my commandment, says Jesus, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. You see, when I've dropped the ball a couple of times in my, that has hurt friendship. But when we drop the ball with Jesus, Jesus says, I'm gonna do something for you. I'm gonna climb upon that cross and I'm gonna be nailed to it and I'm going to die and I'm going to lose my friendship just for the time being with my heavenly father so that you might have friendship with God. Timothy Keller, who I was listening to this past week, says this, God the Father basically said to Jesus, you can either go to hell or lose your friends. And Jesus went to hell to keep us. I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come forward. And this might be one of those Sundays where you're thinking, I just wanna pray. I wanna pray that God would bring good friends into my life. Being a pastor, my sister's married to a pastor, my mom would pray regularly for us when we would move somewhere. That God would bring good friends into our lives. And maybe you're sitting here saying, that type of friendship sounds great. We would love to pray with you. We would love to pray with you if you want prayer for healing, if you want prayer for something, a big decision for work or life or anything in general, it would be our pleasure. I'm gonna pray for us now. Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Proverbs. Thank you for the reminder of what it means to be a friend and what that friend looks like. And sure, there are other passages about friendship in other parts of the scripture, but Proverbs talks about being candid and offering wise counsel and being careful in how we do it and being constant in our friendship. So God, we pray that you would forgive us for where we have fallen short. And God, we also pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would be great friends and show the world how great it can be. Pray this in Jesus' powerful name, amen.